Welcome to Pride. You have reached a stop on our Acast Audio Pride Parade, where we travel around the world to hear from our LGBTQ creators on what Pride means to them. So grab your whistle, get your face paint on, and settle into a special celebration of Pride. And at the end of this podcast, we'll hear where our Audio Pride Parade is heading next. So stay tuned. That podcast, my name is Marvin Harris, and today I'm having a very special conversation. Now, I'm going to go tell this story, and I'm going to make him feel very, 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 very awkward. I'm going to intentionally do this to you. Uh, so, I, when I launched Dope Black, at the very beginning of it, there was this whole thing about we're Dope Black Dads, and it'd be like, you know, I went to my wife, and I was like, oh, we should do Dope Black Moms, and she was like, oh, yeah, let's do Dope Black Moms. And then there was like a friend that I met, and it was like, let's do Dope Black Women. And then after that point, I was like, okay, now we have to be careful; it doesn't just turn into Dope Black everything, which it kind of did. But we'll talk about that later. Uh, but the, the, then it became just about like we're not complete this is weird now we're going to actually expand ourselves we need a platform for queer LGBTQI voices and um, me and my wife sat down for a while I was thinking like what's the language we should use who would we get to be involved in it and the beautiful thing about the universe is that people just appear they present people to you that just fit the thing that you have in mind I don't know if it's my universe and my karmic energy or if the universe sees what I need and finds me these people um, but I was presented first and foremost with Tali Quayton who was the daughter of one of the dog black dads and then she introduced me to Aid and I felt like in that I'd, I I literally have never ever really put my hands on anything you're doing I'm just like it exists I'm really happy I'm out of the way if you need me I'm here but like also I think you're way more equipped and informed I'm so happy to have this conversation with you but also thank you for walking into um, the door that was left slightly ajar and making it yours, making it undeniable. I've uh, seen the platform growing and now have a few thousand followers and you're doing events, which I think is incredibly important. Aid, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. And thank you for that uh, beautiful introduction. That was really, that was really sweet. Do you remember that time? What do you remember of that that time? I, I was in a in a whirl, whirlwind and a tears. I, I don't remember very much, but I do remember those key bits. What, what do you remember of that time? Of like my intro to Dope Black Queers? Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember Tali asking me to be involved. Um, um, I was only wanting to come on as the podcast producer because I had a passion project to uh, make a mm. podcast. Um, and then as time went on, uh, they asked me to kind of like do more, like help with the running of it. Um, and then, yeah, thrown into like the dope black universe with the moms, the dads, the women, the men. Um it was a it was a lot, especially because I feel like it was like the middle of lockdown or like the beginning part mm. of lockdowns. So I was like, all these people, um, it was like mm-hmm. a, a bit chaotic <laughs> for me, and like because yeah. my my world had really like got very small. Um, mm. I was like, all these new people. It was like a, a very uh, chaotic experience, but I mean, good things have been yielded from it, so I'm grateful. Brilliant. Well, I'm so glad and honoured that you're continuing the work. Thank you so much. Um, so now I have a, it's not really a question, it's a point and a question. So I, I've had pronouns in my name for about three years. It's just, it's so normal to me on LinkedIn on and on all my platforms. Uh, but today uh, uh, I, I made a comment about a football team and lots of people are now tweeting me about this topic. Um, and every like 
20, 30 tweets is kind of just like someone being, oh, and they have pronouns in their name. And, and, and it's mm-hmm. like, can, can you share like the what the importance of pronouns are? Um, it, it's, it's a bizarre thing that it seems to trigger people so much because it's quite simple and quite clear and not particularly meaning anything other than clarifying. Um, can, can you talk to mm. it from your perspective? And what also are your pronouns as well? Uh, my pronouns, so fine, this is interesting. Uh, I My pronouns are anything but he, him. So like they, the she, that like, that all works. Um, however, I'm not, to say I'm not a big fan of pronouns is an incorrect statement. So we can strike that. But like, they don't factor into my life or into my like interpersonal relationships. So in the same way that maybe people in the comments are like, why is this a thing? You know, that doesn't, um, it's not a part of my day-to-day life. The same is for me when I speak to my people, they just call me my name or something else. But like um, pronouns are rarely factored in. So it becomes a, a thing I need to interact with usually when speaking to other people or interacting with the world. Um, and then it comes quite laborious because it's, you know, you're just there like, oh, hi, how are you? And then it's like, oh, explain your pronouns. Like when you're just in a casual social setting. Um, but to speak like it's just like this is not a usual conversation Um, but to speak to why people take umbrage with it I think it's because I don't know as a as a to say like a country um, that speaks Mm -hmm. English we don't really interact with I guess what words mean and like this is a pronoun everyone has pronouns everyone uses pronouns they've been using them since the day they were born or at least people Mm -hmm. have been using them for them um, but it's not recognised. So now it's this. It's almost people feel like this is a new thing that's being introduced and put on me that I have to contend with, <laughs> yeah. um, which is not the case. It's just clarifying, like you said, how to address or communicate with an individual, which shouldn't be a problem. Mm. Mm. It's so interesting because one, one of the other things that happened to me, I remember I went on a on a date once and uh, this is always a really bad sign, but <laughs> I went on a date once and she... And the, and the woman said, um, oh, I've just noticed that you have pronouns in your profile. You're not one of those like woke people. And I was I was offended on like three folds. I was like, yo, that's such mm-hmm. a wild thing to say because they are there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't ignore them. But like the deduction and making it woke and like weaponizing woke in that set in that way was just like it just bled into an area that I'm really thought about like it just like does does it in in a dating realm does that make more for you or less for you does it does it matter do do people come into when you're considering dating you and they start being like well depending on your pronouns that makes me understand the kind of person you are and what you may not be in tune with does that happen um i think it can do like because the pronouns that i would offer people to use are they just that alone mm. as it not being he or she um, mm. is a good signposting for transness or some sort of uh, fluidity in gender um, and that could inform kind of who's interested in me um, if they're mm, yeah if they're transphobe um, uh, but I may have forgot the rest of the question but yeah so in that realm it, um, it has its uses and it um, uh, affects who may pursue dating me mm. brilliant well look I, I, the thing that i'm most excited to speak to you about and and i i felt like because you did it 
almost remotely. Like I, I think I spoke to you on the phone or I might have voice noted you, I can't remember. And I gave you lots of context and then you came back and you sent me these answers. Um, so when I was writing the Dope Black Dad's book, um, it might have been about a year ago, but it's been a very long year. So it's been about a year ago. Um, Cause I think I was in South Africa. So it was slightly more than a year. I remember still being there, which was like over a year ago now. Um, there was this, uh, we're, we're doing a chapter, um, which is like, it really was to platform the stories of LGBTQI people and talking about how they were raised and, you know, and some of the key tips or, or viewpoints that they may advise any parents um, who, who have children who who come out or who invite them into their lives. And I was just like, like, I I, I didn't know you that well, but I, I knew there was some something. And it's really hard to explain to people when you when you meet someone and you're like, ah, oh, you're a person, person. Okay, at some point, <laughs> at some point, we're going to open these doors and just have a really great conversation about the experience that what makes you, you. And just to compound that, I did a talk last week, Friday at Barbican and with Jessica Huey and We Are Parable. And one of the topics that came up was about pers- uh, purpose. But in that, they were asking, what was the moment you realised that like you had to change the way that you were living and obviously that question to me is like I've had events and real pivotal moments um but because of how heteronormative the world is you may not have been aware of what or, or of who you really were until maybe slightly later than 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 even for me I probably still didn't know is there is there a moment that you had where you identified it was there an event or or an occurrence or was it just a gradual understanding that I had to be different or that I of my identity identity and any differences really Um, well see actually I had a conversation with my dad well it was probably after I came out or like told him about my sexuality which I can't remember how many years ago that was Um, and he asked me like when did I know and I said well I've always known um it's like, well, not for him, that was like a very confusing kind of like idea. I was like, no, no, no. But like, when did you know? Like, they were, I was like, well, when did you know that you were straight? He's like, well, I always have. I was like, okay, well, same. Um, um, and that's, it speaks to the heteronormativity that, that you were talking about earlier, that so much of the world is orientated around that, that that is the point of center. And then everything else is a, a discovered at another point. And for some people, they don't. Uh, come to an understanding of their identity until later on because uh, well I don't know the reason because that's not my experience but yeah. for me um, I always knew from a very young age um, that I whatever a child understands of interest in other people um, I knew mine to be different from those around me um, yeah. and to be something in line with queerness not that was the language that I had then but yeah. um so much to the point where I couldn't even pinpoint when I recognised it. It's just always been a thing. What was then mm. the challenge was um, navigating a world which I also understood to be hostile to that um, and mm. finding ways of masking that, of um, hiding that um, to make life as easy as possible, especially as a kid. Mm. And that's from like family and a wider um community um and also school of just being like okay well i know this and i never had a problem with it i never wanted to be straight or anything else but it's just like okay but then how do we kind of navigate life as easy as possible and and how did you build that i'm going to use the word power 
but I, I feel like there becomes a point, and I, I'll tell you mine first. So like, uh, and, and even for me, like my, whenever, when I found my challenges and I realized that I was different, I couldn't understand what that was. I found out that I was neurodivergent and actually pretty recently, but I've always known that I was different and I didn't understand. I didn't have the language or the context to know that what I'm processing is different. Um, and it actually took Tali to ask me the question because she experienced me and she mirrored in terms of her own understanding of it. And so she invited me into the view, like, have you considered it? Then I've been on this amazing journey for about a year, understanding and like looking into it. And it's so funny, like you read a book or something on YouTube or TikTok about neurodivergent people. And it, it's like someone, it's like someone talking to you about you Mm-hmm. And they have no mm-hmm. chance of knowing who you are. And it freaks me out. It's just like, how do you know I do that? Like even a small thing the other day was like, you know, you 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 see that your phone is on like 3% battery and you won't charge it until, until it's on one. Like you, you have mm-hmm. to, it has to be urgent for you to act. And I was like, I do that all the time. Like just like my brain doesn't act in that same way. Um, and when I talk about difference, I, you know, I just had a, a fuck it button. Like I was just like, whatever it is, my power came, started off being fuck it, which is slightly unhealthy because you can ignore your own experiences and true feelings about things. But I was just like, I'm, something's not right. This isn't the same. I don't feel like I'm bad or wrong, but I do feel different and I can't explain it. So just fuck it. Like, I'm just going to do what I want to do. and I'm not going to be told no. And that was my way of coming to peace of it. Do you have a, a similar occurrence? Um... I don't know if I know actually later on in life um, maybe when I went to university um, or actually just before I went to uni I went to uni at 20 uh, just before then I went to America to do Camp America um, for the summer I so much about um, as a counsellor pivot, pivotal like so many people have done that and been like I had the best time mm-hmm. was, was it equally as good for you or was it like how was it it was um, it was it was unexpected um, because what Camp America promote is like a really like idyllic mainly white camp experience with lots of like uh, bunge- not bungee jumping but like those kind of activities mm. um, and it's like make money and have fun and I mean I went <laughs> on it because my cousin was doing it and I thought it would be like a good summer experience before I go to university however like as it was described is not really the thing that I would enjoy what I ended up having mm. was uh, a, a brilliant experience because I went to a camp that is no longer in existence, but Camp Moss Hollow in um, Virginia. And it looks after kids from like inner city DC and a lot of kids that are in care. And it's also a very, very, very black camp. Mm. Um, and so I had the best time because I literally was surrounded and like just in blackness for nine weeks. All the kids were black, mm. the counselors. Um, a lot of the counsellors had been there when they were kids and then came back and worked. And so mm. it was like I was in this big, like, black family for nine weeks. Um, so it was ama- it was an amazing, like, transformative experience. Um, mm. But in going there, I kind of said to myself, and especially because I was then going to head to university, that this was my opportunity to kind of reinvent myself or at least introduce myself without any masking, without any... Um, concealing of who I am because um, I really felt like this was a, a leap, the, the stepping stone to 
stepping into myself. Um, I didn't know anybody else that was going there. There was nothing tying me to upholding the image that I'd created of myself, like with my family, with my friends, with the people that I'd known my entire life. Um, and so I just said, you know, just be you. And, you know, people people have nothing else to compare you to and they just accept you for who you are or take you as they meet yeah. you. Um, and so that was a, a big moment. And then I went on to kind of like continue that at uni. Um, and then I also did a study abroad year in uh, Copenhagen a few years into my degree. Mm. Um, mm. And again, I did a similar thing there of, you know, I'm going where no one knows me and I don't have to be held to the person that people recognize and so mm. just another opportunity to and it on that trip I really discovered a lot of my transness um, and I think because of the fact that I wasn't holding myself to a, an older version of me mm. I love that I, it's, it's so funny what the catalysts are and they they just kind of happen and space is really important um, and so when I spent my time in South Africa just just the space alone to not have to automate to all of my and I, what I call them like declared and undeclared commitments and mm-hmm. when you're stuck in your commitments you're just on autopilot because you're just going mm-hmm. through the motion and I, and I stopped thinking and feeling and I was just kind of just doing loads um, and then the second I stopped I, I literally felt like I was on a spinning top and I felt like I got off and I was dizzy and I was like it took me maybe six months to recalibrate just from doing so much um, and I think I think for you in terms of just like your life as to what it was possible because I, and I spoke about this in the book is that I always was just surrounded by homophobia like everywhere but I didn't I didn't know it was homophobia I, it was just everywhere though it was just so casualized in music and culture the way family would talk about other black people or um, femme men it was just so normalized how much of that did you internalize growing up um, yeah um, I didn't internalize it in thinking negative of myself um like I said, like I always knew my sexuality or at least I knew what I wasn't. Um, mm. And I was just always really okay with that. And as I've spoken to people throughout life, uh, like I know that isn't necessarily the the experience of everyone or even a lot of people, but I, I don't know what it is like within me where I'm just like, if I'm okay with something, then like it's not my problem per se. Mm. Um, so... I may have lost track of what I was saying. But yeah, like I've always... Uh, no, I have lost track of what I'm saying. Could you remind me of the question? <laughs> um, the <laughs> I, idea of just like the experience of how people used to speak, the like homophobic ah, yes. way people speak um, in um, the dialogue. So yeah, that I guess it signaled to me what spaces were safe for me to be more of myself. Um, so like a lot of like family events, you know, the music would instruct a lot of the the environment and the conversations similar like that I'd hear from older people like my uncles and stuff um, it just let me know that you know I wasn't going to bring all of me there and that I was performing a version that caused least friction um, but I was, all, I was always rooted in like at my core like I know I'm good like there's nothing wrong and um, I don't need to change it was just um, it just fundamentally meant that the people in theory closest to me uh, didn't know me that well Mm. Um, because I wasn't going to bring I wasn't going to bring myself to places which I knew would be violent so you know it's it's now a a process of getting 
now process of getting closer to um, all those people again in the years where that hasn't happened like my childhood. And then in the realm of like blackness and queer, so one of the questions I asked you is like, as I read more about intersectionality and we talk about how people's lives have almost like layers and at the intersection of different identities, they have an experience and it builds characters or it creates experiences for them. Uh, in the intersection of, of black and queerness, I'm not even sure if it's correct to even say, but is is there a hierarchy in your mind in terms of what's your primary identity or or is it the intersection that makes it your identity? Um, yeah, it's the intersection. Like I'm not one without the other. I'm never one uh, and not the other. Um, and I mean, I guess depending on how I'm dressed and how I'm presenting, other people may see one thing before the other. You're always going to see my blackness. Um if I'm in jogging pants, maybe you won't see my queerness. But um, yeah, for me as a as a person, a lived experience, um, I'm both at the same time because because queerness really it it plays a big part in my life. It plays a big part in my outlook on life. Um, mm. The the having always been an other um, and made to feel an other, it um, I think completely orientates how. I think and view the world. Um, I th- what you said earlier about, um, I think in relation to like neurodivergency, once you were no longer like chained to the rules that were meant to be there and you kind of just like, oh, mm. I'm just going to do whatever. Like I'm just going to do as it mm. naturally feels. Because I have always known that I was different. I was another. Um, I've just kind of like, and that's what we spoke about earlier. Like I've just like th- tore up the rule book. Like I just do my own mm. thing. And so... Uh, the blackness and the queerness are like in tandem. Mm. Uh, do you feel like your identity is just heavily politicized? I, and I'll say this because, I, for instance, I, I launched Dope Black Dads because fathering was an incredibly important thing for me at a time. But my children will get older. Um, I'm way more confident than I've ever been in parenting. So that part of my identity, in the importance of it decreases. And I'm still a black man and that still has, you know, elements. Uh, of things that I have to process but your blackness and your queerness doesn't, doesn't go anywhere so then does that mean that you're constantly present to it and you have to constantly process because and I'll, I'll keep compounding by how I, I feel like the biggest challenge when we talk about race to people who are for instance non-white is that they don't understand that this is always on I, I don't get to like get on a train and not be black even if I'm tired hungry in a really good mood I'm still a tall black man and so I get treated as such and that can create a reality where I now have to change my energy, my aura, my awareness of where I am. I no longer feel safe. Um, does that? Do you feel more under siege or more challenged? And you may not have anything to comparison compare it to, but do, do you feel like this is just like more of an existence? You're more present to your identity. Um, I mean, yeah, I would say I'm um, uh, not. I was going to say new, no, through no fault of my own. I think because. Queerness and transness is something that is seemingly never not discussed in whatever avenue, whether it's hateful rhetoric um, on in media or even within like family and community. It's um, something that I, from a very young age, have had to come to an understanding of, and that could and that kind of manifests itself in many ways. For me, it was like a oh, I know that I'm okay. But I first had to question whether I was okay because what I was hearing would tell me otherwise. And so mm. it is 
forced me to, uh, I guess, not compartmentalize, but yeah, think about myself, my identity, parts of me and dissect it in ways that if you comfortably or more comfortably fit within like a cis heteronormative society structure, you're not asked to, or you're not forced to. Um, so yeah, I, I, as I, as I'm here at like 28, I've been thinking about identity for a very, very long time. Um, in a way that um, some other people may not have to. Mm. One, one of the things that I, and I spoke, I think it's quite often actually, is the first time I went to Black Pride, it was in Haggerston Park. It might have been three years ago now because we've been in the pandemic for about 20 years mm-hmm. or something, but it was like three years ago. And at the time, I couldn't explain why I felt so at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and it actually started a question like about my sexuality. It's like, because well, I think my therapist was like, well, how do you know? That's a really good question because I just never asked the question. I think intuitively I know. And when I went on the journey of asking myself that and sitting with that question, I knew pretty straight straight away. But I feel like the environment to consider your sexuality in a different way isn't really there still. I think we just had our mm-hmm. first openly gay football player that came out uh, mm-hmm. who played for Blackpool. And... In a weird way, it's like, yes, we do need more of this. But it also felt really weird that that was the first one. It's 2022. Um, and there was something that I just have in terms of a deep affinity. And I, and I think it's the the journey of discovering themselves that I personally have a deep affinity for. And in that, mm-hmm. I've been able to learn a lot from hearing the stories, testimonies and experiences. And so then I've been able to like stand really powerfully and make sure any space that I'm in doesn't dishonor queer people's lived experience. And I think like, um, it's, it's been a real value add to, to listen and hear things from the community. Can you tell me more about Dope Black Queers, their mission, what it is that you're, you're doing? I know you mentioned you only came on originally to do the podcast and you've been roped in nicely. Um, but that sounds pretty much <laughs> like everyone in Dope Black. Everyone came in for like one little podcast and before you know it, it's their everyday uh-huh. life. How, how, uh-huh. how do you talk about the, the journey and the work you'd love to do? Um, so with Dope Black Queers, I think the goal for all of us, the three of us who are running it, that's me, Tali and Georgia, um, is to just hold space for us to be and like uh, create community. Um, and at the moment, we're very focused on trying to like do physical spaces because, you know, we are just allowed back outside. Um, and so we are trying to set up some like regular things so people know that, you know, at this point of the month, end of the month, they can find us for this event. Um, and really trying to just build connection and so people know each other. Um, because my greatest understandings of myself have come through spending time and being in space with my community. Um, it's how I've learned the most radical parts of myself. Um, I've seen it in representation and then known it's the first time I've, I've i've been able to acknowledge parts of myself and and believe that things are possible and so i want to just create as much spaces like that um for other people to hopefully have some similar or different experience but i think community is incredibly important a community is incredibly important for black people um no matter the intersection but you know i'm focused on creating queer spaces but you know the world is unfriendly um, at best to blackness um, and then you le- you add on all the other intersections and so it's incredibly important for us to have a place um, where we can just come and be uh, without explanation um, and so that's what we're really 
prioritizing at the moment. Um, we do want to get back to the podcasting. It's on hiatus at the moment, but we want to try and relaunch it in a different format later in the year. Um, but yeah, that's that's their short-term goals for like Black, Black Queers um, is to just be popping up for people to access um, as much as possible. In in a weird way, because obviously that Dope Black Dads went through maybe six different iterations. And almost like we were a bit of the, their first ones out over the hill, so we ended up becoming a guinea, guinea pig as to what it could be. Like we launched something and didn't really understand it and didn't really have a plan or a strategy. And so... We, as we were figuring along the way, I think we were at our best when we were just holding space. And I think the challenge mm. then became around like sustainability. Now, once that question was was thrown into the mix and because, you know, uh, it's, it's sort of this weird thing of like, as a black person, you end up becoming a mini activist often by mistake. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then like, your whole life becomes about fighting for your existence. And then and then if you're black and queer, black and disabled, black and a woman, you're, you're really holding space on behalf of other people and yourself and fighting for your life. We look at Wade versus Roe in the US. You can't sit down and be peaceful when that stuff's happening. You have to get up and mm-hmm. say something. And I think trans lives are constantly being repealed and questioned in the UK. And it's now become almost like a, a, a punchline or a, or a battering stick for um trying to mm-hmm. throw off politicians or confuse the, the electorate. And I just think like we, we were we were doing great work, but I just think like after a while, it just becomes really expensive to exist. Like it just was costing mm-hmm. a lot of money. And you're just like, in one realm, it's fine. I don't really care about the money, but it actually does need to come from somewhere. And so we started getting funding in and I realized that um, we, we had to change the way we existed and structured ourselves to be able to even receive money. And I, and I don't want to necessarily blame the funders for that, but there is something about how change is made and what it takes. And it's almost like you end up spending the little you have in your community to survive, or you go to uh, other organizations, you know, institutions, receive money from them, but then you have to change the way you operate and govern yourself to do the work that you do. And then it also mm-hmm. is like, I remember there being a quote, which is like the easiest way to stop a revolution is to fund it. And I felt like that was kind of the beginning Mm -hmm. of like people not seeing it the same way because it was just like, everything's about money. And it's like, it's not, but if we don't have these questions and it's like, all right, we're going to take a thousand pounds, but it has to, I have to report back to somebody and say, this is what we did with this 1000 pounds. And they want five pages (laughs) on this 1000 pounds. The governance of that alone means that I have to spend hours on, reporting the thing that we're doing and it's like counterintuitive how, how do you balance the like the needs of your community which probably were greater in the pandemic with like the capacity you have the time you have the resources that you have Ooh, um i think so i have a bit of experience working in like community events um i used to be a club promoter and work in kind of events in that realm and i think i saw the uh exhausting exhaustive uh, one of those words kind of effects that it has on the people that organize it and so with dope black queers I'm trying to do it slightly differently I have failed uh, uh, many times in the uh, year and a bit two years that I've been working on it of kind of like running myself to exhaustion in an effort to cr- create this space in whatever format that we were trying but at this present moment and what I'm trying to do going forward is do with do what is within my capabilities um, and I'm also not afraid for it to stay small. 
I don't mm. know how practical that is and what that will, <laughs> how that will look like if it, as it grows. But um, yeah, I'm like very happy for it to stay small and for it to be quite I don't know, insular. Um, and mm. I want to focus on holding the space that I can as best as I can. And mm. if there is a limit to that, then I feel like that's okay. Because mm. there are so many incredible people within my community who can create um, and create things that are specific in different ways. Um, and I don't need to be involved or the person to create that. Um, I think I've experienced in past kind of like trying to be the catch-all, trying to do everything that everyone needs. And I only have a certain skill set and I we can always bring people on to kind of uh, meet things that the three of us have like a caveat on. But also, I always encourage people to just do their own thing as well. Like mm. the thing that you feel that you need, like create it because that thing that you're mm. speaking to is really specific and you'll do it better than anyone else can. Um, mm. Better than I will. Um, so mm. yeah, I'm not afraid of things that be small and for me to just be able to do what I can. And encourage everyone else to do what they can and want as well do you feel like holding that space has changed who you are as a person and how you see the world i think the thing that happened to me is that i received so much information about mm-hmm. how to scale things how to do things what doesn't work what does work and people just bring stuff to you it's like a really weird space like when you hold that space people just present you with like information opportunity challenges trauma just like mm-hmm. has, has it changed the way that you kind of like live in the world um i recognize like yeah people do bring a lot um has it changed how i mean it may have but i'm not sure if i am cognizant of how it has um in my past organizing around parties like queer parties um i think it it, it changed how um gentle i was with myself um Mm. and compassionate um because i think when you hold space that has not previously been held before um yourself as well as the people that are existing in that space uh see all the possibilities that there is and all the more that could be done and you feel compelled to take that on um because you want to see it as much as everyone else but Mm. um there was a point where it was like, well, I can't do this. And now I feel bad that I can't do this. And, but now I'm feeling bad for something that I, I never planned to do. Um, and I also never said that I was capable of doing. Um, and now I can't do the work that I originally set out and was good at doing because mm. I feel like I've, you know, I've done a bad job of it. I failed it and people aren't happy. Um, so I, it's definitely taught me to be more compassionate with myself. Um, mm-hmm. and I guess know my boundaries, know my limits and, um, be okay with, what I am capable of. Mm. What's beautiful, and, and it probably speaks to what I said to you earlier, just about you you have something that is, you're definitely a real person, there's a power in there, is that like a lot of that stuff, maybe even for me came, I had to discover by mistake in error. I'm not saying you haven't, but I, I think for me, it was a very loud experience. And it sounds like you have a, a view on it um, already. Um, and I think like so, some of the, more subtle things is just that your words mean something completely different, which I never really internalized. And so something that could be a joke to you that is funny that you probably said like 50 times mm-hmm. now has a weight of gravitas because you're now 
this person saying this and and now it sounds like mm-hmm. an opinion or it's like a truth and i think like those shifts in um how you're seen do create a new reality for you um mm-hmm. you know and, and again like as you said being more kind to myself is a real thing like i'm always quite hard on myself anyway because i feel like i do have the ability to seek the answers find the answers um and and enact the things that i discover but you know, when it's happening at, at that scale. Um, and then I, I felt like, and this may not even be true, but it felt like it was manipulative. Like you, you, people would say that this isn't good to get me to do something for them. But like, oh, you don't care. Like, someone said to me one time, you don't care about black people because you won't, I can't remember what the thing was, do this thing for me. And obviously that sentence is like a very big sentence to take on. It's like, you don't care about black people. It's like, well, that's literally the opposite of, of what I'm doing here. And, and then I found that I, I started working harder and harder um, to try and cover those things and make sure people knew. And then I just ended up in an impossible tears, very much like you said. But it sounds like you didn't get to that stage. You were able to identify that maybe in real time. Is that fair to say? Um, yes. Yes and no. In that, in my, in my previous uh, kind of club organizing, I was part of a team. I was one of the smaller people. And I think I had the mm. ability to like watch it happen to the people in charge um, and then mm. go through those emotions. And I kind of got like uh, the, I was on the periphery. So I kind of, I've also experienced it to a degree, but mm. that was great training for being now in the position where, you know, it's on my shoulders. Um, but I, I think it's an, as, as, as you explain your experiences and I've seen the experiences of others, it is like a impossible for it not to happen. Mm. Um, and the only reason that I would say that I've it's not happened to me is because I've been able to watch it happen to mm. someone else or them experience something else. So I'm now like desperately trying to um, avoid falling into that as much as possible. But I feel like I still do at some points. It's just maybe different levels. But um, it often feels like we're doing things that are new. And with that, there's all the opportunities for things to go wrong or things to... Uh, be experienced negatively. Um, yeah. And and just in terms of the wider queer community, there's tons of organisations doing great work, the, the left, right and centre. Um, some are bigger than others. Would would you be safe going into, I don't know, like a stone wall? I don't want to call them out for no reason, but like, mm-hmm. do, do you feel that there's an usness and they see you? Um, I know there was questions around pride in the uk and i assume this happens globally about the presence of blackness at pride uh events mm-hmm. um at the time has that improved um in terms of how you're seen Ooh. um well for like pride in london which is i guess the uk's biggest pride event they which is celebrating 50 years this year um mm. i've never been to pride in london and i'm unlikely to ever go I think they mm. are trying to improve. I think they employed like a black head of, I don't know what his title is, but like chief of chief executive or something. Say again. I think he, I think his name is Ramel, but I think he may have left. I feel I okay. feel like I saw that. Oh, okay. But yeah. I mean, if that is the case, that wouldn't surprise me because they have a long history of of uh, erasing like the contributions of anyone who's not white. Um, and then when receiving complaints, not doing anything about it or employing black and brown people and then ignoring everything that they suggest um, and then mm. wondering why, uh, 
you know, people are still annoyed. So yeah, Pride in London is not my event. And uh, I, I couldn't even really tell you if they have improved, but I would say no, because the complaints that I hear have been the same for as long as I've known it to exist. Um, mm. But there are... And the reason I also, yeah, I'm not, I can maybe best versed to assess whether they've improved. Similar to kind of me and my identity of like being, as long as I'm okay, I'm good. I've always mm. also focused on finding the spaces where that is the case. So like UK Black Pride, mm. I've been, I'm like, okay, I'm good here. I don't really need to look else further else. Um, and before I even found like the spaces that I feel comfortable in, I've always been a person to just never enter the spaces that I didn't feel comfortable, which has meant mm. that like I've, I've missed out on possible kind of like uh, queer spaces. But if there were queer spaces that were violent towards my blackness, then it wasn't really my queer space because I, I, mm. I'm not really prepared to sacrifice one part of safety to interact with another. And especially when it's something as important as blackness um, and transness as well, because a lot of uh, historically uh gay organization well, i won't say a lot but some historically gay organizations don't um speak to and address the concerns of the wider community um but where i am asked to compromise on part of my identity to interact with another um mm. i usually stay clear of because what i am getting is not what i need so like if i have to minimize my blackness to access the queerness of this space it's not a queerness that is mine because my, like mm. you said earlier, my queerness is completely um, entwined with my blackness and I don't want mm. to experience a queerness without it because it doesn't nurture me in the way that it needs to. Mm. It's so funny because, I, and I never want to conflate my experiences to yours ever, but there's just little serum similarities where when I, when I, what I call a safe space are people that honour the fullness of me and I don't want to mm -hmm. be simplified like my thing now is that I don't want to be just simplified by my intersection anymore because the when you simplify me as a black male 60% of it's probably negative in terms of like mm -hmm. discourse around what black men are and while I respect what black men can create in a negative realm for everybody else especially within blackness I don't want to be just seen as that as a full stop and so then you miss all my nuance, all my truth, all my power, my, my integrity. Everything goes out the window. I'm just a black man. And then you make me a black man when you need someone to be strong, uh, to make more money um, or yeah, for those things. But then when I want to be vulnerable, it's almost like I'm not allowed in the door. It's like, oh, we, that's not the side of you that we appreciate. And so you, you must be up to something or, you know, black men are toxic, black men are trash. Um, and while I understand, I don't accept. <laughs> I don't even, like, I think mm -hmm. this is really a new understanding for me. Like, I get where, for instance, a black woman can sit there and be like, my experience with black men has been this, and this has been happening for, you know, 20 years of my life. So when I interact with black men, I treat them with uh, distance, safety, I don't lean in, whatever. I fully understand that. But when it's then applied to me as an individual, and you experience me, and that's what, you project onto me and that's how you see me as, I don't see that as a safe environment for me to be. And I don't want to be there. Um, and it's, it's, it's so strange that there's little themes in what you're saying where I feel like I, I'm just getting more simple, simplified with my approach. Like the things you're saying here are just like very honest and, and quite simple. I don't want me saying simple, but they're quite simple. It's just mm -hmm. like, if it's not for me, I don't go there. 
And I think mm-hmm. normally there's this like, complex understanding of the world, which is has a thousand words and feelings attached. But the reality is, it's just like, if I'm not welcome, it's not actually a place for me. And I don't want mm-hmm. to take part in it. Um, and I'm more leaning into that space without the big explanation, justification for my choices to remove myself from places. Um, yeah. The other um, question, I was going to say, um, I don't know, like much of the world, like cis heteronormativity, like the uh, the structures around the world, I feel don't really serve anybody apart from a, like a really small few. But mm. it's just what people are taught to and um, taught to follow, to, uh, to replicate, to exist within without breaking the mold. Um, but it, at its core, I don't think anyone really does well under it. Um, mm. And I think that is why kind of you feel uh, a relation to the things that I'm saying. And what I am saying, I think, is quite simple. Um, mm. It's just like doing as as your soul is asking you to um, mm. without having to be like, oh, but am I allowed to do that? And obviously, like, you know, don't cause harm, I think is the priority. Um, and check yourself if you are. Um, but I feel like people are taught and learn to operate within the rules, whether or not the rules um, help them, benefit them, are health- healthy for them. Mm. That makes sense. Um, uh, we're coming to the end, but one thing I wanted to ask is just like representation, TV and media. Um, there was a conversation, mm-hmm. I did speak to someone that I work with and I was talking to him about Love Island, for example, just reality TV in general. And in in one room, they're trying to be more inclusive, but inherently my my fear is, is that I don't think it's a really safe environment to be on TV. And I think whenever we put, for instance, black people on TV, black women on TV, there's been such an adverse reaction or a complete dismissal. We've seen it on X Factor over the years where, you know, the black female contestant would sing a song and then the week later, this white girl would sing it not as well and she would go through and yeah, black woman would get... And you just start seeing these things and you're like, actually, is it really possible or fair to, to have full representation of our likeness without it being ring fence just for that intersection like could there be a fully integrated like dating show without it causing significant amount of harm in terms of the dialogue that comes off the back of it on social media the representation and the actual individual in the show being harmed do you feel uh i'm a pessimist so i would say no um (laughs) i don't believe for as much as the kind of advancements in understanding and uh kind of like people's feelings towards queer people trans people uh black queer and trans people um like i do believe there is advancements in like uh the world we live in now is different than it was however many years ago um and i listen to the elders within my community that acknowledge that difference but i mm. just don't believe that society is it's not where it needs to be for um, us to do many things without it causing harm, like direct harm to us as the individual, um, as well as the people that are watching it. I think like Monroe Bergdorf is a is a great example. Mm. The woman was literally hired to be a model in a L'Oreal campaign and it was meant to be this massive, great, inclusive, you know, we're representing all shades and all um, intersections of humanity. And within a few days of it being announced she was the target of the attacks of an 
entire country for simply mm. being trans and you know and not apologetic about it um i don't trust that we live in a world that is not going to do harm to the person at the pinnacle of the representation and also the community mm. that um they are there to represent because that's also the thing they're there to represent this um idea of a a person you know that the producers mm. are organizing the the network is is pushing for um it's not really i haven't seen anyway like a i'll just bring all of you and we will create around that that's not what mm. i think tv does or media does largely yeah what what trying, what kind of world are you trying to create just for your action or since i was in action what what world would you like to to see before you take your last breath um i don't know a world a world easier than mine i think a world um that i don't know is less is a less uh causes less friction i would love for mm. someone like me to just exist um without uh compromise and for them to be able to do that in as many spaces as possible um so i think mm. maybe actually that's that's a refinement of my of what i i want the world to be i want to leave uh with more spaces for black queer and trans people to exist without compromise um mm. yeah i remember uh in therapy um i would say that i only felt safe in my bedroom at one point because i could just be all of me because there's only me there no one's there to challenge or question anything um and then when i first started going to queer spaces black and poc queer spaces i'd be like okay so i feel safe in my bedroom and i feel safe when i get there i just have to mm. work out the getting there part and mm. so i just want more spaces where someone can bring all of themselves um and feel whole without compromise without question without explanation mm. um so yeah if i leave and i've i've helped contribute in any way to a few more of those popping up then um i'm all right with that Amazing. Uh, and just a final question. Um, in terms of um oh, my brain went blank. Uh ah, it, the the final point just around you and like your dad's story. Um mm-hmm. and, and I think it what's beautiful about it is that like as a father, in a in a weird way, because I understand the context of a mad Caribbean man of that era, what was possible, it, it it was more beautiful than the worst version of the story. But how how would you characterize it? Are you okay sharing that with with us? Just that story between you and your dad. Um, do I remember it? Um, do I remember it? Um, you know, actually, what I will say is, after I gave you that story, as you know, mm. the beautiful way the world works. Me and my dad had a conversation. Was this a conversation? I think in the story that I shared with you, it was that my dad doesn't kind of interact with... Because I work in things around uh, like sexuality and identity and queerness and transness, my dad probably feels like a reticence um, and like uncomfortableness to ask me questions about my work in the way that he would mm. my siblings who work in... Mm. I should know what my siblings do, but whatever, whatever their jobs are, it's just like, you know, just the thing. I do know what they do if I think about it. Um, but, you know, just knowing about their life and blah, blah, blah. Um, I feel like a few days after I responded to the questions you asked me, my dad called me and just asked me about work. Um, 
Ah, that's beautiful. And I was just like, nah, you, someone's playing. Someone upstairs is playing <laughs> games. Um, and it was like just very, um, just, yeah, yeah. What are you doing for work? Um, and so since then, we've had more conversations about it. Um, but it's, I think, I think I have a different perspective on what answers I gave you. And I think maybe some of the uh, reticence to ask me questions is not that he is uncomfortable with uh, my queerness and transness, but may, or maybe part of that is, it is part of that. But I think also another part of it is his not wanting to get things wrong. Mm. Um, and so not wanting to seem uninformed or say something silly or what he would deem silly. Um, and so it's like, well, I will, I'll say nothing because then I can't get it wrong. Um, mm. And so I think what we're currently working through is an encouraging to 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 say it as it is, and then we can work from there. We can work from that point and get to what he wants to actually ask with the language that doesn't um, hurt or upset me in any way. Mm. It's funny because like our parents hold so much weight in our existence, and they can provide so much peace. And not all parents, and this is in anything that's any form of relationship you have, but like not all parents go through the door and try to walk through it a bit with you. Um, and I always hear about, even especially like like Nigerian parents and their kids asking like, why did you find me out? Or why, why did you beat me so much? Or why wasn't you around as much as I would like? And they struggle to really answer that without it being like mm-hmm. a guilt trip. And... So just to hear a, a, a dad trying, to be honest, of that generation, as simple as that is, really gives me hope and optimism because I think many people of our generation, I'm going to say our generation, uh, I'm going to make it 28 because you're 28, all the way up to 40, we were mm-hmm. just raised under like such such different com- um, circumstances of communication that we just didn't, it's just like, you know, there's certain things you just didn't ask. My mom was super open. She actually allowed me to talk to her about anything which allowed me to create a safe space in her because I could come back and be like, I had a fight today at school. It wasn't my best self. So when she got the letter home saying I'm suspended or whatever, she had already got the information and the context. And then it allowed me to like repair with her and whatever the situation was. So just to mm-hmm. hear that your dad is reestablishing that with you on an ongoing basis and he's walking into that is a is a really beautiful thing to hear. And I, and I just want any parent listening to be like, I don't really, you know, wherever, wherever you are on your journey, in your relationship with your children, about whatever the thing is, whether it was your absence or, or your, your, you know, your way of being, there's there's a road. It'll be long, but there's a road to just start the conversation mm-hmm. and heal from it because you will create so much peace in not only your children and the people that are directly in their lives, but also in yourself. Um is there any last things you want people to know about what it is that you're doing, your work, uh, Dope Black Queers, yourself, uh, and also where they can find you? Um, you can find Dope Black Queers on all the socials, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under that handle, Dope Black Queers. Um, we run a monthly event at the London LGBTQ Plus Community Centre, which is uh, by Blackfriars Station. Um, that is a monthly event for black lgbtq people um uh, the next one is the 23rd of july uh it's a series called the forum which is kind of like a a town hall meeting um 
there is a topic on the floor and everyone gets the opportunity to give their thoughts and opinions and um, experiences on it. So um, yeah, if if you're if you're part if you're part of the community, come down. We'd love to see you and um, and share space. Um, we also have an event at Soho House on the sixth of July. If this doesn't come out um, after. Um, which is open to everyone. Um, we're trying to like step our toe into doing events that allow a broader um, spectrum of people to come and hear things that they may not otherwise. Um, and then, yeah, just yeah, follow us and, and look out for all the other ways that are going to pop up and hopefully a return of the podcast uh, later this year. Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll definitely be there on the 6th anyway. Um, it'll be great yes. to... To see, I I am, I, um, I kind of miss us, and it's weird because my life's changed so much, and I'm and I'm not really around as much, and I've, I'm always on a plane or doing something. But I just miss the the community feel. It was really really nice mm-hmm. to be constantly integrated with like real people who have amazing stories, but st- we just had a lot of joy as well. And I think the pandemic really like stopped the human connection part. And then now everyone's settled in a new rhythm, and it and it hasn't mm-hmm. really been reestablished. But I do I do think it's something that um, is long overdue. I, I do kind of miss everybody. So, uh, but thank you so much for today. Uh, really, really means a lot. Um, I love to have more conversations about anything. Really, this is one timely conversation. But I do like would love to talk about anything that's going on. Um, so I very much appreciate yeah. you. Uh, and let me know if I can support in any way. Thank you for having me on. Um, yeah, it was um, a great experience. Good to talk to you. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I'm going to pass on the torch to our next creator, and they're called White Wine Question Time. Dope Black Podcast.